Today, the world is demanding more of products and packaging. They need to meet consumer demands, be sustainable, and travel through different channels. Simply put, companies that make things need to respond faster than ever to change. So let's go beyond the shelf to understand how industry leaders in food and beverage, beauty, CPG, industrials, and more are driving innovation in their products and packaging. Hi everyone, Laura here. We have a very special episode today on Beyond the Shelf with Dana Kim from Highlight, an in-home product testing company. If you're interested in testing products at home from well-known brands, you can apply to become a highlighter at app.letshighlight.com. And Dana has been kind enough to give us a special invite code, SpecRite, to skip the wait list. So if you like what you hear in today's episode, go to app.letshighlight.com and use invite code SpecRite to get started. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Beyond the Shelf, the product and packaging podcast, where we interview the people behind amazing products we use every day. I'm Laura Foti, and today I'm thrilled to be speaking with Dana Kim, the founder and CEO of Highlight, an agile in-home product testing platform, and we'll get into more about what that means later. She spent five years at a boutique insights agency as a qualitative and mixed method research researcher for years where she saw firsthand the difficulty of product testing. Determined to build a solution, she then got her MBA at the Wharton School, shout out to Pennsylvania, where she built Highlight, a high-growth research tech startup disrupting the in-home usage test and physical product research space. Their platform streamlines everything from recruit to data set, including all the logistics of getting your product to your target customers. It boasts 90% survey completion rates, can get product in hands in days, and seamlessly collects targeted feedback at scale. Dana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So, you know, you started your career in the research space. How did you get your start in the industry? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I love this question because I love shedding light on the, the fact that it's totally OK to not have a straight line career path. <laughs> um, I went to uh, undergrad in New York and I um, had an internship and a job in basically every career and industry you could possibly imagine um, and essentially fell into upon gra uh, graduation the world of market research. Um, I worked at an amazing market research agency called Kelton um, that I uh, absolutely loved. And we were working uh, with um, consumer brands like Uber and Facebook, as well as big CPGs like Coca-Cola and Nike and Starbucks. And um, I was there for about five years. I was doing all sorts of quantitative research at first, then realized I like talking face to face with humans. So then I was doing qualitative research and focus group moderation um, and then ended up doing um, a lot of product testing on behalf of our customers, which is uh, really what led me to to build Highlight and why we're here today. What were the pain points that you saw in that industry that led, that led you to founding Highlight? Yeah, um, so there were many um, and all in honor of a really important end goal, which goal, which was uh, to collect really valuable product data and consumer testing and consumer feedback for our brands. But we were really uh, stitching together all of the sort of subcontractors and all the pieces of the puzzle that were required to get product in hand and data back. Um, so what that meant was I, alongside many awesome other researchers, would oftentimes um, be sent out into field and um, be standing in grocery stores, be standing in malls, be standing in focus group facilities, literally handing product out one by one and asking, you know, tell me what you think of this new Dr. Pepper or tell me what you knew of this, uh, what you think of this new Starbucks ready to drink. 
And while important and impactful and, and wonderful for us to get that face-to-face interaction, um, for our end customers, it was incredibly slow, incredibly expensive, um, and it wasn't always a scaled data set. Sometimes I remember there was one time we were in family dollars in central Florida for a week, and we only ended up talking to about 25 people because it was a slow week at that store. So ultimately, um, the the pitfalls of, of product testing, the sort of old school way where um, the time it took, um, the, the cost of, of executing, and just the um, the clunkiness and the, the potentially small sample size um, that you were reaching. That's fascinating. I, I also can't help but think as well about the relative selection bias that occurs when you're kind of going out into the physical world. I think about you know, okay, you go to a grocery store, if you go to Whole Foods, it's a very different audience than if you're going to, you know, the the Dollar General store, right? And so depending on, you know, if you want to get true unbiased feedback, you want to probably get a large variety of people, or perhaps very specific to the segment that that brand's trying to target. Um, So how do, so talk a little bit about how virtual product testing solves for those pain points. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So making sure you are reaching a representative pool of consumers that you are testing against is key to making sure that your your data and your feedback is actually representative. Um, so when you think about, um, to your point, you know, going out into a family dollar, going out into a Whole Foods, the the sample sizes and the the um, the cohorts that you are reaching are are very very different. Um, and you, um, in analyzing that sort of data, have to be sort of eyes wide open about the fact that your um, perspective is quite restricted. Um, So the beauty of um, going in home and um, having a scaled sort of product testing network that is not restricted to a certain geography is that you can be very, very conscious and targeted about who you are talking to. Um, So sometimes it is very specific. It is still Whole Foods shoppers or uh, Dr. Pepper drinkers or Dollar Shave um, Club members or whatever it might be. Um, But the, um, the idea is you can actually ensure that they are, you know, all 18 to 30 and representative of different ethnicities and household incomes and um, across the U.S. as opposed to who happens to be at a certain geolocation at a certain time. Um, the other big difference between um, just going in in person um, and actually grabbing folks and saying, you know, hey, wait, stop right there, try this, is um, when you're sending stuff in home, the method in which you're collecting the feedback is far more organic. So when someone is trying a new paper towel or a new concentrated cold brew or a new, uh, you know, chocolate covered strawberry product, um, and you're standing in front of them asking them, hey, what do you think of this? They're far more likely to say, something positive and they are far more likely to feel rushed in their response and um, and they're in a sort of um, very specific situation where a strange woman like myself is asking them for feedback in a public place. Um, when you send someone products in home and they're actually around their dinner table or they're bringing the snack to work um, or they're using the paper towel on you know on their kitchen counter, um, that's a very different, more organic way of A, using the product and then B, giving the feedback. So not only is the audience that you're reaching far more um, representative, but the actual feedback that you're getting is more organic and therefore more valid and accurate. I, I mean, I feel like I've now skewed some brand marketer survey results because I am that person who, when I'm at the grocery store, like it's always the nicest people who do the product testing as well. And I'm like, mm-hmm. of course I'll stop. Like I'll try it. And it's always like 
Oh, I always find it to be flavors that are polarizing for me, like a lemon cookie. I'm like, I don't, I want a chocolate cookie, not a lemon one. And I'll try it. And I'll be like, yeah, it's great. But like, in reality, I'll never buy that. Right. And so that's almost like a false positive. And the amount of people who probably do that because yeah, like we're trying to, we're probably obliging because we want to be nice. Um, and so the likelihood of us giving an honest opinion, like in, in a way we don't realize we're being less helpful in that situation to that person, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. And, you know, it does happen online as well. You'd be surprised folks, you know, they are getting product to their door. They're first to try the cool new, whatever it might be, M&M flavor. And they want to say positive things. They want to be um, encouraging of innovation. And so there oftentimes are online communities that are still somewhat echo chambers of yeses and, and giving those false positives. So it's really, really important to instill in a consumer base. Um, for us, our highlighter testing community, we want your honest feedback, the good and the bad so that, you know, that the brand developer or the R&D scientist um, is actually, um, you know, able to, to iterate on their product and understand what's performing well and not, um, as opposed to just getting a whole bunch of people saying, yeah, your product is great, but not really meaning it. It's a great point because, you know, I always think about the relationship as a marketer between marketing and product development. And a lot of marketers are doing influencer marketing where they're sending boxes to people and asking for reviews. And usually there's some kind of relationship there where, you know, again, there's a review that maybe that person, it's not truly going to give you an insight on the product. It might help you sell more of it. Um, what are the use cases for how Highlight is helping product development teams at the, at the start of that product development life cycle? Yeah. So, um, the, the highest level sort of division um, and the way in which we break down the different types of tests on platform is um, products that have um, not launched yet. So pre-launch R&D products um, and then products that have um, that are in market, that are selling, that we're looking for more data on. So depending on where your product is in the life cycle, there's a whole bunch of pre-launch testing you can do. Formulation testing, sensory testing, flavor testing, efficacy testing, packaging testing. Um, and then once your product launches, it's somewhat set in stone, at least for a little while, what your product looks like. So at that point, you're getting feedback on the product that, you know, in the, the format that it is. So competitive testing, benchmark testing, um, claims testing. Did this mascara actually make your lashes look fuller? Did this, you know, paper towel actually deliver the durability that you would expect? Um, there are many different use cases depending where um, you are on the product life cycle. Um, there's also a, a split of products that you would consider um, either innovation or renovation. So um, all at all at all times, consumer product developers and marketers are making sure that their product portfolio is the best it can be. Um, so that can mean a taking your existing products and making sure that you're constantly optimizing for um, you know the trends of today and your evolving consumer base and the evolving supply chain and you know sustainability um, goals and whatever it might be. Um, and then there's um, innovation work that is done, which is adding net new products to your product portfolio and saying, okay, great, I have, you know, a, a vanilla and a chocolate chip ice cream. Now what's, you know, what's the next flavor and how do I innovate a net new um, portfolio expansion? And so both of those are done on Highlight and they both, um, you know, both of those tests look very different, um, but they're equally important. Um, and especially in this time and in um, a, an economy where there is um, not as much frothiness and in, in, in innovation, we're actually seeing a lot more renovation of making sure, okay, my core product portfolio, is it up to snuff? Is it performing the best it can possibly be? 
That's a great point. And one thing you said really resonated with me because there's been a paradigm shift. It used to be, you talked about it, like there's all this testing done up front, you lock that product in, and then that product just runs. And what I found in that, and today life happens, a supplier can no longer supply you something. Uh, all of a sudden, a market is completely off, taken offline due to a natural disaster. You know, the reality is these large brands, the scaling complexity of their supply chains is such that there's stuff going, I don't want to call it going wrong, but there's stuff changing all the time that would force them to go back and maybe do a reformulation maybe have to repackage something. Um, and so can you talk about the importance of this kind of testing and maintaining that brand promise? Yeah, absolutely. So um, renovation and reformulation um, is happening all the time behind the scenes. Um, if it is going well, um, consumers don't notice. Um, I always I always talk about how, you know, classic Coke, we probably think it's never been touched. The formulation is the formula is, you know, as it was upon launch. Obviously, there are some rumors around how the ingredients have changed, but um, largely there are some iconic products that have been the way they are for many, many years. Um, and reality is, to your point, um, supply chain issues, sustainability goals, um, certain ingredients being no longer viable. Uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of ingredients that have been sort of struck from the record of acceptable ingredients. Um, there is so much re renovation, reformulation that is happening, and it is very, very uh, critical. It is truly for li life or death for a consumer brand to have the competency to be able to reformulate and keep a brand alive and keep that brand delivering on its promise to your point without um, consumers noticing a change. Um, and so oftentimes um, we, I, I mentioned the renovation work on platform. Oftentimes our consumer brands are on platform and they have a product that they know delivers on flavor, on nutrition panel, on brand value. Um, and there are loyal, you know, consumers of this product, whatever it might be. Um, we have some major CPG businesses that have $500 million, $200 million product lines that suddenly they need to change the ingredients for. Um, and they need to make sure that there is no detectable difference and that loyal consumer base is not going to, you know, take a sip or take a bite or uh, use a product and realize like, wait a second, something's different because the moment you let a consumer down, you lose them. Um, and so there is a ton of testing going on behind the scenes, thousands of SKUs, thousands of consumers testing many, many different variations until, you know, that brand is 100 percent confident that this new formulation um, is going to gonna, you know, has, has a as close to 0% chance of alienating any consumers as possible. These are the topics I love to dive into on this podcast, because as consumers, we wouldn't think that the products we've loved have changed, right? Like there's things where, you know, especially as children, we have memories of something tasting a certain way or being a part of our lives in a certain way. The reality is that products probably changed hundreds of times over the course of us being consumers of it, which is fascinating. Um, and, and it just speaks to the professionalism of product development folks and people who are doing the market research where there's so much emphasis on getting it right and all the testing that goes on behind the scenes. I imagine that when companies are using Highlight, it must change the speed to insight. Can you talk a little bit about that process? 
Yeah. So I talked a little bit about, you know, my former role and, and one of the major pain points around product testing being just time, um, the time it takes for me and my team to go out into grocery stores and collect this sort of data and bring it back and synthesize it and then bring it to, you know, the Dr. Pepper of the world. Um, what, what we have really done in automating all the different components of physical product testing and allowing for, you know, um, the uh, the delivery of the product data you need on these impossibly fast timelines um, is we've accelerated that time to insight and we've accelerated um, product development cycles. Um, and you can imagine, you know, every, with every passing day, um, the uh, consumer product landscape grows more and more saturated and, and the pressure to innovate gets quicker and quicker. And the, um, you know, the number of different potato chip skews on the Walmart shelf increases. There's a wild amount of innovation happening both across enterprise and, and emerging brands. Um, and so the speed to insight and the need to react to how consumers are, are um, you know, reacting to your products and, and having that really very clear, positive um, feedback loop is, is really, really key to survive and sustain competitive advantage in this market. And so um, while we say, you know, the time to insight is faster um, and, you know, you get your data live as opposed to in a static Excel data set and um, you get your data in weeks, not months or quarters, um, or sometimes even truly years, um, the, the end goal is actually not, you know, faster data. It's quicker innovation, quicker timelines, um, the ability to just move faster and compete in an, you know, ever um, quickening environment. Yeah. I mean, that sounds really familiar because that's what we talk to a lot of our customers and prospects about is like having data at your fingertips. It's not just for the sake of data. It's for the sake of changing your product, getting it to market faster, understanding the, the risk of a recall. Um, one thing that I'm seeing especially is, is, um, the modernization of cosmetics regulations act, which just got passed last December. Um, is the most sweeping regulation that the FDA has passed in cosmetics in 85 years, which is somewhat terrifying as a consumer. Um, wow. But it's going to cause a lot of companies to, you know, there's certain ingredients you can't use anymore, right? And there's certain labeling claims you need to make. And so I imagine, and, the, and by the way, these folks have about a year to do it. And so when we think about, okay, if you're at a big CPG or cosmetics beauty company, you don't have a lot of time to figure this out, right? You have to reformulate something, make sure it meets that consumer expectation. And you, you simply can't do that without data, without either having your product data to quickly innovate it from or without having kind of the ability to get those data insights quickly. And I, I, that's why I feel like such a kindred spirit with you because we just see the need for that on, on so many different levels. Um, obviously we talked about what happens when companies do this, right? They keep that brand promise. Are there some examples that you reflect on where companies have really failed and where it's kind of hurt them in a big way? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have, um, so many, unfortunately, um, sometimes, um, we are chatting with customers and they have found us because they've been dinged by a product failure. Um, we always actually, you know, as a marketer, you would appreciate that. We wonder if our positioning is ensure your product is successful and positive, or is it ensure your product doesn't fail and negative and both are equally powerful. And when you see a successful product run off to the races and you're like, holy crap, this is working. That's an incredibly motivating, um, you know, 
data point for your brand. Um, and then on the flip side, when you realize like, whoa, there's a sharp decline in sales for something that was avoidable, um, that is a really big kick in the butt for, okay, I need to make sure this never happens again. And so we have absolutely, especially along the re uh, reformulation and renovation route, we've definitely had uh, companies, teams, individuals come to us um, and ask, you know, how can I ensure that um, the next time I reformulate, um, this doesn't happen or the next time, um, you know, I launch a, uh, a product extension into a new category um, that I am more confident in um, my product success because um, there are specific SKUs that are in the Hall of Fame of failed products. Crystal Pepsi is one of them. We just saw, you know, the Tropicana orange juice carton rebranded to a really modern pack. And everyone was like, where's my, you know, the, the old school Tropicana label that I'm used to in my mom's fridge. Um, there are some just some changes that are unpredictable um, in terms of reaction. And you really can't know until you consumer test. So um, absolutely, there is. Um, a long list of preventable failures um, and, you know, enabled successes um, that have come from um, either the, the use of consumer testing or the lack of consumer testing. I just think you're so right that the, the bar is so high and that companies cannot fail today because product development is very expensive in and of itself in general. And mm -hmm. whenever companies add SKUs, there's added costs. You know, if you think about, I get to walk plant floors, every time they have to change something in a manufacturing line, it takes time and time is money mm -hmm. in manufacturing. And so as much as we all love 50 flavors of everything or 50 kinds of eye cream, the reality is there's a cost of that variance, whether it's supply chain or manufacturing process. And so if a company is adding a skew and that skew fails, it truly is detrimental in more than one way. It's not just simply my sales went down. It's like kind of disrupted and made my supply chain even more complex. And there's costs there. Can you talk a little about the crystal Pepsi example? Because I think that's one that many of us aren't familiar with, but really shines a light on, on the need for this. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, crystal Pepsi's, um, one example of how a concept, a digital only test and digital only research yielded an idea of a product that in theory was good, um, but in execution and development of the product was was truly not and, and received really poorly. Um, and the, the idea was, um, you know, Pepsi Classic has a brown color and that brown color doesn't necessarily look the most natural or clean or pure. Um, and so um, in doing some online testing of potential new Pepsi extensions, um, Crystal Pepsi, the idea for Crystal Pepsi, a clear Pepsi beverage came to light. And online, everyone said, whoa, how interesting, how cool, you know, this seems more clean, this seems more nutritious, this seems less chemically, this seems, you know, maybe better for me, I I'd be interested. Um, once they actually produced a product and launched and people were drinking Pepsi that tasted like Pepsi, but looked like Sprite, it was a really jarring experience. Um, and the, the actual, you know, product development had not been, you know, tested with consumers to the degree, it, to the degree it should have been. Otherwise they would have realized this very, this very sort of cognitively confusing experience, um, around the actual, you know, physical product consumption. And so, um, it's an example of of how, um, you know, many, uh, if not, you know, all products go through some level of online concept testing, figuring out is the idea of this product acceptable? And once that product is established, or once it is established that yes, the concept is, the product is developed. 
um, concept testing is easier to do. And so most folks are doing some kind of it. Product testing is harder. The physical, you know, development and testing the formulation is harder. And so if you skip that step, you might be missing out on a major insight like the one that Crystal Pepsi did. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great example. And I, I love how you mentioned the Tropicana one as well, because that was, that was just a packaging change, but there's so much nostalgia related to that packaging. I mean, I, as you said it, I was imagining it in the refrigerator, right? There's just certain staples that, you know, are challenging to innovate with, but who knows, maybe Tropicana was trying to be more sustainable, right? There's probably a reason for the change and it just further goes, uh, goes back to the need for testing. Um, you know, we have a lot of folks who listen to this podcast who are in food and beverage, you know, CPG, beauty, uh, in product and packaging roles. You, can you walk us through the process for someone to, to go from start to finish on Highlight? Yeah, absolutely. So Highlight is a entirely DIY um, uh, product testing platform. Um, and essentially the core modules that are included in, in testing on Highlight are A, targeting your audience. So once you sign up and you create an account and you're led through a, a project flow, um, you are targeting an audience for your test. Um, the next step is um, you are uh, uploading your products for distribution. So we actually integrate with third-party logistics providers. You send us your product in bulk and we distribute it to the audience you'd like to test with. Um, the next module is feedback. So you let us know, okay, now that you've chosen the audience that you'd like to test with, you've sent us a product that you're testing. Um, now we, now you upload um, what exactly you'd like to get um, to, to learn. Um, so either the questions or the photo requests or the video requests, we intake all um, survey photo or video um, feedback. Um, and then you sit back and you relax and you wait for an alert from our system that says your live dashboard is ready. Consumers out in the world are testing your products. Um, um, and answering the questions that you've uploaded prior. Um, so it's it's a very sort of intuitive front to back platform where you don't have to do um, anything beyond uh, upload your specs and send us your products. Um, it's typically about a few weeks um, from start to finish um, and you can collaborate with your team and platform and um, see your data coming in live. So it's a, a really nice way of um, sort of taking what used to be hundreds of emails, many different contractors, expensive agencies, um, and really um, uh, taking the, um, the, the ability to get live consumer insight on your product into your own hands. I just love that because I'm the kind of person who would have the popcorn at the ready and just start <laughs> watching them all come in. And I'm sure there's, you know, insights you're getting just from that too, of just being yeah. able to look at it in real time and aggregate historically, you know, running, yeah. looking back on test years from now. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I just, I see so much value in, in not only the test, but kind of also holistically looking at it and, you know, what are the trends across our portfolios? The other thing I love about Highlight, you know, can you talk a little bit about how you build your, your testing group? The, so the testers. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we take great, great pride in our highlighter community. Um, and really, it's because um, having worked in market research and having felt the pain points of um, low quality consumer communities and low quality panels, um, we knew from day one that we had a really uh, you know, high quality, articulate um, group of consumers who would 
um, who are a fundamentally who they say they are, which is not for, you know, uh, something that is um, a given in traditional panels, but B, who are um, representative, who are um, willing to give their addresses, willing to be home to receive a product and willing to give feedback on the product they receive. It's a very high engagement experience. And therefore, we need um, a very engaged community to um, to you know, adhere to the the sort of rules and the guidelines of our product testing community, um, and so we we don't buy or sell panel in the way that traditional market research agencies do. We recruit a community the same way a D 2 C company would recruit customers for their product. Um, we use social media. We use existing consumer communities like WeWork communities or. Uh, college campuses, um, and we use referral and word of mouth to recruit an organic community of people who want to build better products. Um, we are very mission driven. We are very um, uh, honest about um, our goals, which is to help both brands and consumers build better products together. Um, and we're very encouraging of give honest feedback. We don't want, um, you know, an echo chamber of yeses. We really want to know what you think. We want every single person to have a hand in innovation because better products is a win win for us, for um, brands, for um, consumers, for, for anyone involved. Oh, I love that. How can I sign up? <laughs> you can go to letshighlight.com and apply to be a highlighter. There is a short application. Um, and yeah, we'd love to have you on board. It's a, I it's mean, a honestly, really fun. Listen, I love trying new things and giving opinions. So I, I feel like, you know, what's the, how, yeah. how interesting is that? Um, well, you know, I do have one last question for you, if you can talk about it. Obviously, people are testing new ideas, things that maybe aren't ready for prime time yet. What's the most, you know, you can anonymize it. What's the most interesting insight that's come from a test on Highlighter so far? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so Highlight has a lot of um to your point, under wraps confidential innovation work um, that is churning through the platform at any given time. Um, but I think the most interesting insights come from um, products where you might be testing flavor um, and you get back a ton of insight around your packaging is terrible. It's too crinkly or loud, or you're testing for serving size and everyone's like, wait a second, this is far too salty. Or you're testing for, you know, the durability of your paper towel. And people are saying, actually, the print is really distracting. Um, it's the sort of unexpected insights um, that I think are the most valuable because you're not testing for them. You're not going into market realizing that this might be an issue. You could have potentially been blindsided by this sort of consumer feedback once you were launched. Um, but you are, you know, given the heads up, thanks to your investment in consumer testing. And those sort of unexpected insights are where we get really excited around, wow, this was the ROI is is off the charts because um, you truly, you know, saved yourself um, from from something that could have been um, a total surprise. I love that. For all of our packaging listeners, go tell your product development team teammates that you guys need to do this. You might get some packaging insights. Uh, all right. Well, listen, it was great learning more about Highlight. Keep up the great work there. I'm going to close out with my favorite segment, which is some rapid fire questions. What is your favorite product right now? Ooh, uh, my favorite product right now is Barnanas, peanut butter chocolate, peanut butter covered banana bites. <laughs> That's a company that really has expanded their SKU count very successfully. Yeah. That's a great yeah. pick. I'm loyal to the single SKU, but I, I uh, appreciate their, their diversification. That's great. 
Uh, what packaging trend are you most excited about right now? I'm really excited about the upgrade. Actually, I, I, I know this is a podcast, so folks can't see, but I'm drinking a nice coffee with a compostable straw that actually is durable. <laughs> and I feel like there was a phase of, um, you know, sustainable cutlery and sustainable straws that were, you know, would melt in a second in a drink or would not be able to hold, you know, a single a, a soup for a second. Um, and just the advancements and specifically straws, um, I'm, I'm really excited about. I love that. We famously had uh, Dr. Jay Singh, who's a professor of packaging at Cal Poly on, and he yeah. had like, we had like a 10 minute rant on, on the compostable straw thing. Um, so yeah. he'll be, ha he'll be happy to hear that it's getting better. And then our yeah. last one, which is really fun is called kill keeper change. And listen, we can't go out to the highlight community. So I'm going to have you, you do it in real time. You have to keep a product, kill a product and change a product. And these are three random ones. So your first product to consider, you can see that where I'm going with this is a beach chair. The mm -hmm. second one is a lawnmower and the third one is a hard seltzer. What would you keep? What would you kill? What would you change? <laughs> um, I would kill the hard seltzer. <laughs> um, That's a hot I, take. Yeah, I, I appreciate the summer theme. Um, my summer, my summer drinks would, are more along the orange or white lines. <laughs> um, uh, I would keep a lawn chair and I would change a lawnmower to be, um, a Roomba lawnmower, a self-driving lawnmower. That's brilliant. Can, can, is someone on that? If not this, there's an insight that just came from this podcast. Someone yeah. contact John Deere. Yeah. Oh, yep. A Roomba. A Roomba for your lawn. I love Roombas are life-changing. I resisted it for so long. Do you have one too? I, my sister does. I live in New York City, so my apartment does not warrant a, a Roomba. It would be done in half a second, but <laughs> my sister who has a house um, cannot live without it. There you go. Well, Dana, thank you so much for joining us. How can people uh, follow you and follow along? Yeah, letshighlight.com um, is our website. Um, book a demo if you're a brand or sign up as a highlighter if you're a consumer or both. Um, and yeah, we can't wait to hear from you. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. If you like this podcast, please be sure to rate and review us. And Dana, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Thanks so much. Beyond the Shelf is presented by Specrite, the first cloud-based platform for specification management. Say goodbye to spreadsheets, share drives, and legacy systems, and digitize your specs in a secure single source of truth. With Specrite, you can easily share and collaborate on specs with other departments and across your entire supply chain network. Taking a spec-first approach enables you to accelerate product and packaging development, go to bid faster, report on sustainability, and ultimately spend less time chasing data and more time making amazing things. To learn more, visit specrite.com. That's S-P-E-C-R-I-G-H-T.com.